sweeter than sweet. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That was awesome. <clears throat> a couple of things before we get started, so don't don't start us yet. Um, the Harvest America was amazing. We we just uh, it was such a blessing to just be able to have it here and just to see what God did, just in the small fellowship that was here and the people that got saved and rededicated their lives. Just continue to pray for them. I was just so stoked about the whole thing. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was. Um, another thing, uh, a lot of you guys have the social media, so you guys found out a long time ago. But maybe some of you guys who don't, Pastor Chuck Smith passed away this morning at 3 o'clock in the morning. He's 86 years old. Um He's been battling lung cancer for the last two years, although he never smoked a day in his life. He had uh, lung cancer, and he dealt with it, and uh, he he kept up a, a full schedule for being that old, for being that sick. He did not slow down. At times that I'd see him at, at conferences, I'm going, why do you do this? <laughs> you don't have to. But to him, it's like, no, he's going to finish. He was going to finish, and, and this morning, as I heard the news, it was a bittersweet. Um, the, the first scripture that came to mind, as I'm sure for a lot of you, um, was not just the uh, welcome home, my good and faithful servant, but this one of, of Paul. Uh, at the end of, of his life, and, and as he wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy, where he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of glory, which the Lord, of, the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, <clears throat> I, I am not one of the OG uh, original Calvary guys way back in the day. Although, I mean, I wasn't like in the beginning. He's been in ministry for about 40, well, with Calvary Chapel for about 45 years. And I came to know the Lord in 1979, November 21st, 1979. Next month will be 34 years that that man has been in my life because <laughs> I was saved. And the next week I was at his church and I started going there for several months before I moved over to Calvary Downey. But he's been a part of my life, and I was realizing this, and this is when I kind of, like, oh, well, Lord, man, he's with you, and this and that, and then I just started crying as I started thinking. It's like, man, that man's been a part of my life for 34 years. That's a long time. <laughs> That's truly a long time, and he had no clue, because we never had a personal conversation. But he has impacted my life, just like he has many of you. And um, I was talking to my daughter and uh, she had already heard the news, and she says, Dad, I'm, I'm just so grateful for him because of, you know, what the Lord did in his life because you guys got saved through Calvary Chapels and brought us up in the Lord through Calvary Chapel. And so, you know, and it was almost like these generations have just kind of gone on and on, and how many hundreds of thousands of people have been touched, if not millions, um, just from a guy who is obedient, you know, um, he struggled in the beginning of his ministry in, in different aspects. But when he got to uh, Costa Mesa and took over a small little church named Calvary Chapel of 25 people, 
God just began to do a work. And uh, I have it on my heart because last year, this past year, we had gi- they had given us a DVD of, uh, it's a documentary of, of Chuck. And it, was, it is an amazing documentary. And I had purposed in my heart already back then. I thought, you know, when he passes away, I'd like to show it to the church. And so hopefully in the next, in this m- next month, we'll, we'll have a, a time, I don't know, memorial t- <laughs> Uh, for Chuck, and just kind of show this this thing. It is an amazing, amazing um, DVD. And one of the things that shocked me uh, in that, a lot of things surprised me. It's like, really? Uh, but everybody just attributes uh, how he just like went after these, uh, these these hippies. And he confesses in this DVD, and I'll break it to you guys now. It wasn't him at all. He said, I didn't like those guys. My wife, my <laughs> wife is the one that had a heart for them. And I kept on like, honey, no, let's just, you know, go over there. And she just had a, a desire for these hippies. And uh, he just, he fell in love with them after a while. But it was his wife, Kay, who like had this heart. And everybody was like, oh, Chuck and the hippies. It's like, well, you did. But it, it was just so funny when I heard it. I thought, really, <laughs> all these years I... But anyways, it's that kind of a uh, documentary, and so we'll let you know. Um, but just be praying for the Smith family. Um, you know, they lost their, their dad. And Kay, his wife, they've been together forever, 60 years of some. And she's been struggling with dementia and stuff for the last few years. And so I don't know what's going on with, with her, but uh, just pray for the kids. Pray for his congregation. Um, another thing, pray for a lot of the pastors. Um, that started off with him. I was thinking about a lot of those guys because that was their papa. He became their papa. And um, a lot of these guys didn't have great relationships with their own dads, but he became a dad to them. And I know that they're struggling this throughout this day too. So just pray for, for us. <laughs> but let's pray and then we'll get into the word. Jesus says, we uh, do thank you and praise you, Lord God, as we... Uh, just think of the scripture, Lord, to, to live as Christ and die as gain. And I know that our brother Chuck, Lord God, he, um, he lived that and he understood that. And today, Lord God, he is able to be with you. And we rejoice in that, Lord God, we truly do. He has preached it about you, he has taught about you, he has learned about you. And, and all those things, Lord God, that this man did, Lord. And, and yet today, this morning at three o'clock, Lord God, he was there with you and what a glorious time that, that was him, for him, Lord God. And, and I just thank you so much for his faithfulness, Lord. And uh, we pray for his family. I pray for his wife, Kay. And God, you would comfort her heart. And that uh, you would just surround her with your angels. And just comfort her by your spirit. I pray for his kids, the in-laws, the grandkids, the great-grandkids. All who are affected, his brother. <clears throat> and God, you comfort them and encourage them as well, Lord. And we do pray, Father, for all the people that are affected, many of us, Lord God, in different ways. But, uh, Lord, we know that your word is true and it is faithful. And we honor you, Lord, um, for what you did in the, in the simple man, in the humble man, <clears throat> that just desired to love you and to love your people. You gave him a heart your people and so thank you Lord and we praise you and we lift up your name for being 
just the anchor, Lord God, that um, that has been not just for him, but for all of us. And tonight, we honor you, Lord. We lift up your name as we get to go get into your word this, this evening, Lord. Blessed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 26. Man, oh man, we are almost done with Acts. You know, we started Acts in uh, January 2012. And we took a couple breaks for the summer. We've done other little things here and there. And um, Lord's laid something on my heart, on our, mine and another brother's heart, about after Acts for a little bit. And after that's done, and we'll let you guys know about that later, but um, after that we'll, we'll be going into Romans, and so I'm excited about Romans. So tonight we are in Acts chapter 26, what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 25 is the Apostle Paul facing his accusers after two years of just sitting in custody in Caesarea. And now it was time to meet his accusers once again because Festus, the new governor of the region, was there, had come into power. He had gone up to Jerusalem to meet with these guys that he knew he would have dealings with. And so he went up to deal with them and to meet them. And first thing on the agenda was, what are we going to do about Paul? <laughs> oh, and so... He decided to bring the hearing or bring them down to the hearing, bring the council down to Caesarea and, uh, and he would bring Paul to face his accusers and stand trial once again. And so Festus insisted and the council really didn't want to, they really didn't want Paul to stand trial. The underlining fact of that whole thing was that they just wanted to kill Paul. You know, they, they, they came up with like, hey, bring him up here to Jerusalem so that he can stand trial. But in the, in the, 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 the workings in the background where we are going to set up an ambush, he's never going to get there. We're going to kill him. This is the religious leaders of the day. And so they, that's what they wanted to do with him. And so they traveled and then, you know, all their plans were foiled. And, and so they traveled and Paul stood trial before them. And it would, it would end up being a waste of time, as we're going to see. That they couldn't persuade Festus to side with them. And Paul ended up appealing to Caesar, as we saw last week, the highest court of the land. And it was all over. It was all over for these guys. They had no recourse after that. Once he, he decided that he would appeal to Caesar... The council had no more jurisdiction over, over them, over him, and they'd have to let him go. And so, as a Roman citizen, Paul had every right to appeal to Caesar. That was his right as a Roman citizen. And Festus had no other choice but to send him. And the council lost. And they went home, if they went home, maybe they stayed around for a little while, but they had their tail between their, their legs. It was all over. But Festus was now in another quandary, another, another dilemma. He had nothing on Paul. He himself had thought that Paul was, was innocent, and yet he had nothing to write to Caesar, any specific charges, it says, to send to Caesar. 
And so he should have just thrown it out of, out of court. He should have just declared him innocent and said, you know what, you don't even have to stand trial anymore. Don't even appeal, bro. You know, you're done. Go home. And yet he couldn't do that or he didn't do that. And Festus then gets a visit from King Aquila and Bernice. And I told you guys a whole story on that one that happened to be his sister. And I'm sure he thought that they would help him in this situation, in this dilemma, in this quandary that he was in, to help kind of figure something out. And Aquila wanted to hear the matter. And so God opens another door. Oh my gosh. God opens a door for Paul to share in front of this king. God had promised that to him when he got saved, that he would be a testimony to, to the Greeks, to the Jews, and to kings. And now it's coming to pass. And now he's going to stand before Aquila. And so verse 1 of chapter 26 says, Then Aquila said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand, and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Aquila, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions and questions which have to deal with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictness, strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Aquila, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raised the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must be I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Um, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often. In every synagogue I compelled them to blaspheme and bring and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even in foreign cities. While thus occupied, I, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the, high, from the uh, chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And with when we had all fallen to the ground, I spoke, the, I heard the voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick 
against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both in the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among whom you are sanctified by faith in me therefore king aquila i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in damascus and in jerusalem and throughout all the region of judea and when and then to the gentiles that they should repent turn to god and do works befitting repentance for those reasons, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be first to raise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people, and to the Gentiles. I'll stop right there, but we are going to finish tonight the whole chapter. As we go back to the beginning here, the first three verses where it says, And Agrippa said to Paul, and kind of motioned to him, and gave him the permission. I, I could, I, as I was looking at this, I, can, can you imagine the scene? Put, put yourself in that day, or in that, in that courtroom setting. As all the pomp and circumstances come in, and, and again, if you like older movies or you kind of like that kind of scene, that you would see all the royalty, all the regal, everything coming in. As, as, as Festus was coming in, probably in his, in his red robe because he was the, the governor and Aquila and, and, and Bernice coming in in their purple robes and, and then all the prominent men and all the people coming in and, and all the, all the, 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 the living color. That is happening there. The trumpets are sounding as people are, are coming in and all, and all the players are taking their place. And then this poor pathetic prisoner in chains takes center stage. And so you can imagine how it's all happening and how all the people are there. And I can imagine the final blowing of the trumpet as Festa stands up. And he says in, in chapter 25, beginning in verse 24, And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was, no, was not fit to live any longer. And when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, especially before you, King Agrippa, 
so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not, a, and not to specify the charges against him. And so he, again, he takes, he takes the, the, the podium or whatever it is to, to shout out this thing to King Agrippa, who is the guest of honor, the guest the judge, who is going to judge this whole thing and kind of sitting in all his pomp. And so here we catch a glimpse of the long line of the Herods, King Agrippa, as, as he turns to him. And it was no small thing for Paul to be facing someone like this. King Agrippa could have easily, right from the get-go, if he wanted to, done this. Gave him the, the, head, the, the thumbs down and off with his head. Bring it on a platter for me. Just like his, his great uncle had done to John the Baptist. He had that much power. He wielded that much power. But I think King Agrippa was kind of intrigued by Paul. Kind of as he heard from Festus about this man, and I'm sure he had heard about him before because Agrippa would have known what was going on in the region, in, the, in that whole area. Because he kind of oversaw a lot of the Jews and their religious activities. And so he probably knew about Paul and he finally gets to meet him. And instead of giving him the thumbs down, he decides to let him speak. And he kind of gives him the thumbs up instead and says, you go for it. He didn't even cross-examine him. He doesn't start doing anything except all of a sudden as, as, as Festus presents the case before him, he just looks at Paul and gives him the thumbs up. And Paul stretches out his hand. He, he was probably chained, but he stretches out his hand, it says, and began to speak and answer for himself. And I'm sure that those accusers who were there, as Aquila gives him the thumbs up, if they were there, I'm sure they were there just to one last ditch effort, just to see Paul get nailed. And I'm sure they were shocked as he gave him the floor, the opportunity to speak. And so once again, the opportunity presents itself for Paul to speak. And I am sure that this time he knew that he would be facing the king. I'm sure he, he was already prepared when he was in town and, and, and he heard that, that they were going to have another, another court. I'm sure he knew ahead of time. And I could bet you this, he slept like a baby the night before. I really don't think that he was worried about a thing. I really don't think that he was like concerned. How am I going to start off? What should I say? Should I stretch my hand? Should I just speak like Should I look down? Should I look up? I don't think he thought of any of those kinds of things. I think he just thought, what another opportunity, man. I get to stand in front of all these people and share the Word of God once again. I don't think he hesitated not one moment. I don't think he, he was scared of anything because he knew he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew that. And like I shared, I don't know, whenever it was last time, he was probably the only one there that was filled with the Holy Spirit in that sense that he had the confidence of who was going to be on his side. Even though the whole assembly was against him, even though everybody in their pomp and circumstance was there, he was not intimidated by not one of them. And he was just ready for the time. If they give me a, a time to speak, I'm going to speak. If he gives me a thumb down, I'll lose my head over it. I don't care. 
I'm sure he wasn't worried. As, as, as again, he finds himself in this court system. I think he knew that he had confidence. Not in himself, not in man, and not in this court system that he found himself in. And not even concerned about being in the hand of the king, King Agrippa. Because he knew that he served the king of kings. And the king of kings was actually in charge of everything. And he didn't worry about a thing. This is the confidence, guys. This is the confidence that we should have when we put our trust in the one who made us. In the one who made everything. He has the power, as we were singing earlier, to break the chains. He has that power. Paul was chained up and yet he was the freest man there. He understood what it was all about. And I don't think that he was there trying to butter up old King Agrippa there. As he begins to to say, "I, I, I think of myself happy, King Agrippa, to be here today to answer for myself. Because you understand all these things. I, I, he wasn't buttering them up. I, I truly believe that he was genuine in his opening statement here. Because he knew Agrippa. He knew that, uh, that Agrippa understood the whole Jewish system, the customs, and everything involved. Because that was part of his position to know that. And so he was confident that this guy knew something. And Paul knew that he would be sharing his testimony once again. I'm sure it it was there for for him to to just share it once more. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't afraid. And so he begins to give Agrippa a background that maybe Agrippa wasn't familiar with. And so he presents his case. He presents his testimony. And he knew that it would be a little longer probably if he gave him the chance. So he says, hey, and be patient with me because it might be a little long here. (laughs) He he warned him. And so from verses 8 on, he begins to share in my manner of life from my youth. I mean, he goes back way back. What, what, What King Agrippa may not have known about Paul was that Paul was a part of the system since he was a kid. He had this desire, because he came from a dad who was a Pharisee, he had a desire to be a Pharisee. And from his youth, he would be, I guess, on that road to becoming a Pharisee. And so this time around, as we hear his testimony, he goes back a little further than he did last time that we covered it. But understand that Paul is not bragging here about his past. He's just going into more detail. He's just going further back to give this man a better understanding of who he's he's dealing with. I am sure that he is not sharing a a bragamony instead of a testimony that he's bragging about his past. He's not sharing a bragamony. If anything... He just wants to paint a clearer picture for this man. Now, if some from the council were there, they would have to testify that they remember Paul as a kid. Maybe some of his peers were there. 
now on the council. Maybe some of the older men who had been there for so long remembered that young, up-and-coming young man. He was on the fast track to becoming a, a prominent, a, a, a famous, highfalutin kind of Pharisee. And so they knew him. They understood him. I'm sure he was well-liked back in those days. I'm sure the older men probably thought, man, I wish I had 20 of those young men running around. I wish all my students were like this man because he has a heart to be a rabbi. And I'm sure his peers envied him. He's probably the, the rabbi's pet. And as long as he, he went with the flow and even excelled, he was the man. They were looking to him. And the Jews... As a whole, they had a hope of the resurrection. Because God was not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, as Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. And so Paul understood the fulfillment of this resurrection because of Jesus. He understood it more than ever. Because Jesus had appeared to him and he knew that Jesus was alive. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't, with the, he wasn't one of the original, the OG apostles or disciples back in the day. He wasn't one of those. But Jesus had appeared to him alive and he spoke to him. And he, he understood more so that day that, that about the resurrection than at any time before. They had read about it, they had talked about it, but he was more full or more, had more of a fulfillment of the resurrection because of Jesus. And the Jews still continued to reject it. They, 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 they refused to believe because of Jesus. They believed in the resurrection, but not Jesus. And Paul, I mean, he has been stating his case, and this is why they're coming against him. Not because of the whole issue of the resurrection, but because of the one that he talks about that is resurrected, that is alive today. Jesus continued to be the thorn in their side every time he was spoken. And so Paul states his case, or stated his case, that the resurrection is why he is being accused. Because he understood it more fully than any of those guys. And he is being accused of the resurrection. Now many that were there, that had Jewish blood in them, including Agrippa and Bernice, believed in the resurrection. And that's why he's understanding that you, you, you will understand where we're coming from. What I'm about to share with you, you have to agree with or you should agree with because you have Jewish blood in you. And when he says in verse 8, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the, the dead? The, the Amplified uses it like this. Why is it thought incredible that any of you by any of you that God raises from the dead. He wasn't just pointing at Agrippa, but to all of you guys, all you guys who understand, who have Jewish blood, all you guys should understand this, right? Again, he, he, is, he is throwing down, he is throwing it out there. And from verses 9 through 11, as he continues, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he brings the name up. 
because he knew that that was the catalyst or that was the, the crux of this whole thing, that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Paul knew that everyone or everybody that was coming against him was really coming against him because of Jesus. He reminded them and the king that he also at one time was against Jesus. And again, he's looking and using wisdom to get get his foot in the door to help them or to help the king understand, hey, what these guys are accusing me of, I was right there with them. I, I, I understand why they're coming against me, but they're, they're, they're saying all these falsehoods about me, but I was there with them. And he begins to give, them, give him the laundry list of all the things that he had done against the, 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 the church, against Jesus himself in that sense. And it is quite possible that none of those who were accusing him could hold a candle to Paul at what he had done against the, 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 the believers of the day. And they all knew it. They all knew how good Paul was when he was with them. They were proud of him. And all the things that he was doing. And they knew it and Paul never forgot it. Even though Paul was forgiven, he never forgot what he had done in his past. And he brought it up all the time. Not to, to, to brag and not to like, oh, to bring it up as a testimony. I truly believe that the only times he brought up of who he was was a testimony to further the kingdom. And that's when we should be going backwards in history to say things about our lives only as a testimony, not to brag or to say those were the good old days. They were not the good old days if you were not saved. And that's not what Paul is saying. He's not bragging about it, not one bit. He just never forgot it. Paul not only said of himself that he was a blasphemer, but that he also compelled them, Jesus' followers, to blaspheme. Now that's, that's how insolent, how disrespectful, rude, and just downright mean Paul was. His, his heart was that they recant. He, he, he was the type that we hear about that people would say, unless you, you recant, you're going to die or get put, put, put into prison or your kids or whatever. And he would do that stuff to them and he wanted them to be, to blaspheme the name of Jesus, to go against him. And this is how it says in the Amplified, verse 11, it says, And frequently I punished them in all the synagogues to make them blaspheme. And in my bitter fury against them, I harassed, troubled, molested, persecuted, and pursued them even to foreign cities. That's who this man was. And so now from verses 12 to about 18, he says, Thus, while thus occupied, or as I was engaged in my pursuit sent by these guys to go after the Christians in Damascus. And I, and I love that as he is presenting his case to Agrippa, he says, and while I was engaged in my persecution, 
these gentlemen here, if they were there, they gave me letters to, and commissioned me to go and get them. And I'm sure they're, go, they're like slipping in their seats going, oh, geez, thinking, why did we even stick around? And so now Paul recounts his, the event of that day. Many of the things are exactly the same. This is the third time that in the book of Acts that we see his testimony. And many things are the same as we have heard before in other places. But some of the things are different. And it's not that he's changing his testimony. He is just giving different aspects of his, te- of his testimony. And, and again, I, I, I never want to, to encourage you to embellish your testimony. But I'm sure that there are different aspects of your testimony that you can share with different people. You gotta, I, I guess when you're sharing, it just depends on the situation and who you're talking to. And it doesn't mean that you're it's like, man, well, I didn't share that that time. Or I written out my thing, but I never like wrote that one. But you remembered, oh yeah, that was part of it. And that, that's how we see Paul in three of his testimonies. There's similarities and there's some differences. And so he's not changing it. He's just giving different aspects. And what I find interesting this time around is that Paul tells us that Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew language. And I know that some would say, well, of course, that's what Paul spoke. <laughs> but, but what I got out of this is that, that when Jesus comes to us, he speaks to us in our own language. Because we don't speak Hebrew. Because it's like, well, what if Jesus just spoke Hebrew and you could never understand him? That would suck. I would like, oh, man, I want to know what he's saying, but I don't know what he's saying. You know, I, I know many of you who are a little older and come from the Catholic Church, you know, you'd go to church and they do it all in Latin. And you're going like, I have no clue what they're saying. You know, and it's almost like, how, how, could, you, how could you receive anything if you didn't know? And I love the fact that, again, Paul says, oh, and he spoke to me in, in the language that I understood. You know, I, I don't know what they speak in, 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 in heaven. I, I, I truly don't, but... But again, if it's a total different language that we, none of us, would understand, that would have not been good either if Jesus came to him and started speaking and Paul's going, I have no clue, I've seen the light, but I have no clue what happened. I don't know who it was. He never introduced himself, or if he did, I didn't know who it was. And this is what I like about it, that, that even though Paul, that day, was riding high on his horse, God humbled him, brought him down, a few notches to the ground. And then he came down to his level and spoke his language. And guys, that's what he has done to us. That's what he will do with us. He will come down to our level and he will speak to us in our language where we are at. Jesus took what Paul was doing to the Christians personal. When, when, when he says, who are you? He says, I am, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And again, I just like that. I like the fact that Jesus says, hey man, when people are persecuting my people, they're persecuting me. He takes it personal. And when the people are coming against you for your Christianity, not because you're being a jerk or whatever, but because of your Christianity, they're not coming against you. They're coming against Jesus who lives in you. And Jesus tells him, 
Paul, it is futile for you to kick against against me. It, it is futile for you to come against me. Paul would be on the losing end of this. In the Amplified, verses 16 through 18, it says, But arise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, that I might anoint you to serve me as my minister and to bear my bear witness both to what you have seen of me and that is in and to that which in which I appeared to you choosing you out selecting you for myself and delivering you from among those these Jews Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending to open the eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may thus receive forgiveness and release from their sins and a place and portion among those who are consecrated and purified by faith in me. You know, when he called him, he called them for himself. And that's what he has called us. He has called us to be ministers. And the word minister means under roar. One who is under the ship doing the hard work to get the ship to its destination. He has called us to himself to be under roars. To get to the destination. But it will take work. In verses 19 to, to 23, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision with everything else in the courtroom that was going on, Paul focuses on Agrippa. It was he who wanted to hear Paul, and it was he that had the power to do something, if anything. But is it possible, could it be, that it was he that God wanted to save that day? Is it possible that it was he that was being offered salvation that day? And so the focus was solely on him. Paul tells him, I was not disobedient to what I saw. In other words, what else could I do but obey? And what a great witness that is. What a great testimony Paul was sharing as as he was just laying it out there in the open of everything that had happened to him on that day. What was he supposed to do? When, 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 he, when, when he gets knocked down from his horse that day and gets blinded, what was he supposed to do? Ignore it that day? <laughs> was he supposed to just pretend that it didn't happen? <laughs> Go about your normal life? Again, if God appears to you, speaks to you, shows himself to you, what do you do with that? Are you, are you the same as when he, he showed himself to you? That'd be a shame. <laughs> That would be truly a shame. Paul says, what, what else could I do but obey? What, what, my life changed that day. And he's sharing this with this man. And it's interesting because that day he had set out to destroy and now he was defending the very thing that he went out to destroy. He had set out to have Christians recant the name of Jesus. And now he was out in the name of Jesus 
calling on non-Christians to repent. That's who he was. What a difference a day makes, huh? 24 little hours with the sun and the flowers. But what a difference. What a difference. Paul, some 25 years later, as he is now standing before the king, after his conversion, some 20-some years later, he is still defending the, the faith and he is still calling men to repent. And he's still passionate about it. I truly believe that. He was still passionate about it. And Paul could have been some great, powerful religious leader that may have sat on the council that is now judging him. He may have rubbed shoulders with the officials and and governors and kings, but instead he stood before them as a prisoner of Jesus Christ in chains. With no pomp, no circumstance. But he obtained help from God, he says. He obtained help from God to witness both to the small and great from the one who blew the trumpet to the one that was sitting on the judgment seat. He was sharing the gospel. And he shared the gospel through the OT. The Old Testament, that's all he had. And he shared Jesus. He shared through the prophets and Moses that Christ would suffer and be raised again. And Paul took every opportunity to share the gospel and to share his testimony. And we should do the same. Verses 24 to the end of the chapter. He says, now as we, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things that I am convinced. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said, Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might be both, uh, might become both almost and altogether as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man must have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Oh, time is short. But we see that Festus is going, Man, you are, bes- you are mad, bro. You are insane. And I thought, you know, I bet you when he was walking with those guys and being a part of that whole system, they never said, you're kind of crazy. You're kind of kind of out there, bro, because you're going out and killing Christians. They're going, man, right on, man. Yeah, mm. yeah bro, do it. Now he's all against them. They're going, oh, your much learning has made you a little insane in the membrane there. You're a little cuckoo. Maybe we should lock you away, not for your charges, because you're out there. 
Man, oh man. And, 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 again, it's almost like Festus couldn't take it no more, and he wasn't even the one that was being spoken to. And as Festus interrupts him, and he says, I am not mad. I am not mad, because the king, and I'm sure he's pointing, man, with a chain. I'm sure, you know, the king, he knows, he knows everything. This thing wasn't done in some obscure place. It was out in the open. It wasn't done in a corner. And he ought to know these things. And I love this, man. He turns to King Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Can you imagine? Can you just picture the scene there? Dun, dun, dun. The music's going and it just dies down. And then all of a sudden, King Agrippa. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm sure he did a little one of those. Do you believe the prophets? And then he says, I know that you do. Can you imagine him squirreling in his seat? The king? And Paul's just like, hmm. Yeah. I know that you do. I'm sure there was a little nervous tick or a nervous laughter in King Agrippa because if he would have accepted that, he would have to admit that Jesus Christ had fulfilled everything. And so the only way to ward it off or sidestep or elude this question was a comeback. And in verse 28, it almost sounds like he was on the verge of becoming a Christian. But I want to read to you from other translations as we close up here from the NIV, the New Living Translation, and the Amplified, how that verse goes in verse 28. In the, in the NIV it says, then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think it is such a do you think that in a short such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And it's almost like he laughs it off. It's like, you think I can make a decision this quick? The New Living Translation, he says, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And then the the amplifier says, You think it is a small task to make a Christian of me, just off-handed to endued me with little ado and persuasion in a short notice, in very short notice. And Paul says in verse 29 in the Amplified, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except with these chains. And he finishes it up. Well, he didn't finish it up. They got up. (laughs) They got up to leave. And it was over. As soon as they stood up, it was done. But Paul got his point across. And I find it interesting that he was nailing Agrippa. And could it be that that was the day of his salvation and he just lost it? Could it be that, that he rejected it because he was embarrassed? Could it be that this, this, this Bernice, his sister, who was his lover, who was uh, whatever, could it be, because you see her, Aquila and Bernice, Aquila and Bernice, could it be that this Bernice was the one that was holding them back from truly coming to Christ? Could it be because of the guilt that he knew because of their, their relationship? It's like, man, I'm just too far gone to really come to Christ. And so he gets up and leaves. And they knew, they knew, all of them knew that 
that he was innocent. And they also knew that he was right about Jesus. But they missed it. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we get to a point, even as we're sharing with people, we get to a point where we share and then we kind of like back off and you're wishing that some pastor or somebody was there to kind of like seal the deal, to close it up. And yet God wants you to throw it out there. I think we we fall short in that because we don't say, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe what Jesus has just said? Just throw it out there. Put the ball in their court and see what happens. And I know some of you guys are like, that's too scary. It's like, you know what? (laughs) Because you're you're afraid of of being rejected here. You're, you're, You're afraid that that it's just not going to happen, you know? And, and, and look at what we just saw here. Paul, the great apostle Paul, is out there, and not, nobody steps forward, nobody comes up for the altar call. And I'm sure maybe he was thinking, was it something I said? Could I have said it a little differently? Should I have had the, the worship team sing, come as you are, one more time? <laughs> maybe! Maybe they would have came up. Maybe I would have had some fruit here. No, they all walked out on him. Guys, Paul, had, well, he was assured of his salvation. He threw it out there, though. And, and, and again, he was clean. <laughs> I want to I challenge you, man. When God puts you in that position, just throw the question out there. If you get rejected, you get rejected, man. Join the crowd. But you'd be surprised sometimes when you throw it out on their court, put the ball in their court and say, are you ready to accept Jesus right now? Uh, they might laugh it off. They might have a nervous tick. They might try to turn it around. Challenge them. I mean, I hate to use this term, but seal the deal, man. Close it. Close the deal. And let them come into eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless you. Thank you, Lord for your awesome, awesome word. Lord, as once again, Lord God, we see the boldness of Paul, Lord God, but it wasn't because of who he was. It was because of the Holy Spirit that was in him. And Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for just, again, revealing to us through your word the power of the gospel and the power of a testimony of somebody's life, Lord. That all these years later, Paul continued to share it because he knew it was powerful. He knew what you had done in his life and he could not ignore it, Lord God. And what else could he do but obey? And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord God. I I lift them up to you, Jesus. Lord, if they have answered the call, Lord, and they are still the same as they were before they came to you, then I pray that they would check themselves right now, Lord. That, Lord, they would not do anything but be under roars for you, Lord. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would bring conviction upon them if they are just playing this game right now, Lord. And so, Jesus, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would just touch them. And if anybody's here, Lord God, that doesn't know you, bring them to Christ. And we thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand as we sing, Come As You Are. (laughs) Until somebody comes up here.